Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and on this episode of Behind the Headlines, we get into the series How We Got Here, the Emmy Award-winning MLive video series that was made possible by a grant from Google. And on this episode, we talk to the host, Emily Bingham. I kept thinking about the proverbial tip of the iceberg, and you know, as somebody who'd only prior consumed um, news media in that way, had never produced news media in that way, I realized people only see the tip of the iceberg. Uh, what's underneath the water is enormous and vast and just keeps going. Um, and so you're absolutely right. There is so much that went into every single episode uh, to produce the short seven-minute final product. And let's get into this episode of Behind the Headlines. My co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you? Hello, Eric. I am well, and it's great to be back here with you on another episode of Behind the Headlines. Last time that we spoke last week, you graciously praised us for winning five Emmys in the Michigan Emmy competition. And that was a new thing for MLive. The first time that we've ever, we've, we've been a finalist before, but we've never won. And four of those five Emmys were for a series called How We Got Here, which was a very ambitious Google funded uh, project. First of its kind in, in America, there was for local video journalism with substance. And we have a small video team for several years now in MLive, but we have never taken on something that daunting. So thank you again for uh, recognizing how special that was. And today I thought it would be a great time to explore um, how we got there with the series, how we got here. And one of the team members who's here to represent the effort was our on screen host and also a scriptwriter for the project, Emily Bingham. Emily, welcome to Behind the Headlines. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So Emily, as I said, this was all new for all of us. Why don't you just t- t- take it from the top when you work for what we call the life and culture team. And we cover all things Michigan. Um, anyone who's listening who's familiar with Michigan's Best is a part of our life and culture coverage team. But we also cover destinations, culture, nature, all the things that make Michigan great. That That's your beat and that's your background. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and then tell us when, what it was like when we came to you and asked you to be a part of this video series. Well, um, like you said, uh, I work for the Life and Culture team. Um, I, when people ask what I do or what I write about, I usually say Michigan outdoor recreation, travel, sometimes conservation, uh, a lot of fun stuff because it's personally an interest of mine. Um, so I love what I do and it's actually largely what I've been doing for my entire career, uh, almost 20 years writing about, um, Michigan things, Michigan places, um, Michigan history, which I also love. Uh, so more fun stuff, less hard news. Um, and I was actually on vacation <laughs> in Florida when I got an email. And I know bad Emily checking email on vacation, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> and I, it was February. Uh, and I had an email um, from a manager who was asking me, kind of briefly outlined what the Google grant was about, uh, what the project might look like, and asking me, if I would be interested in hosting. I've, I had never really done any broadcast work. I'd done a little bit of voiceover and radio work, 
Um, but uh, nothing compared to the scope of what I was reading about in the email. So um, I tried not to give it too much thought because I was having a beach vacation in Florida. Um, I was mostly at that point just intrigued uh, and curious. Um, and then when I came home, pretty much right out the gate, we had meetings. Um, we needed to do a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, so we just kind of hit the ground running. And uh, I have to say like the thing at the get that was so exciting to me, even though it was daunting um, for somebody without experience hosting or working on video work was the collaboration aspect. Because coming from a print background, print journalism is largely solitary work, or at least in my career, it's been largely solitary work, not a ton of space for collaboration. And from the very start of this project, there was so much collaboration going on with so many different people. And I found that really invigorating and exciting. Um, I so, think, yeah. I think I might be able to sum up um, the sense of awe and dread that we faced because uh, it was, I want to say maybe January, uh, late January, mid January. And I got a call from uh, our senior vice president of content for our entire company in New York. And he said, John, I have good news for you. And I said, well, what? I'd like good news. He said, you have been awarded a $250,000 grant from Google for a first of its kind local video project. And I'm like, great. Uh, who applied for that? <laughs> it, was like, I, <laughs> it was something that our, our company at the corporate level was was applying for these kinds of grants for innovation. But I, we got it before we even knew that we were applicants. Um, it was kind of a long shot. So the dread part was, you know, when we had to have it done, which it had to be done by summer. And we had to, to with a three-person video team, to do a series of this depth was going to be very, it turned out to be very challenging. Now I will say there's, we have a uh, affiliate, AL.com in Alabama, their sister to us, uh, they're owned by the same company and they had a pretty innovative startup um, that was probably five years in called Red Clay Media, to the video studio. And so they had developed some expertise in show production, story, you know, script writing, um, show running and all this. And they came up and had a couple of meetings with us to kind of help us frame the project. Uh, again, when they framed it, it was like, holy heck, <laughs> this is really gonna test us. But you know, that's that's not a bad thing. But the timeline on it was, I think, Emily, you can confirm this, but I think we were in like March-ish. We were, we were talking about a video series of six videos that had to be done by June. And uh, so from soup to nuts, uh, researching stories, uh, script writing, uh, planning out the production, what we needed to do for production, um, you know, blocking out shots and all that stuff. And then Emily, her role too was not just gonna be on camera, but she had to, in order to inhabit the stories and own the stories, she had to participate in all the script writing and skip, script editing. Emily's one of the nicest people that you could possibly work with until, because I was working on a script until I got called in by her and Laurie Chapman and sat down across the table from them. And it was like going through a cheese grater. So uh, anyway, well, you got to kill your darlings, right? <laughs> in writing, that's the rule. <laughs> so 
you know, for you, Emily, wh where did it stretch you? Um, where did you feel like, what, what was the hardest part? Was it being the on-camera stuff or, or was it the all that background work? I actually really enjoyed the background work. I mean, even though it was um, grueling at times, that was the kind of stuff that I felt, I, I felt was in my wheelhouse, um, rewriting scripts, working with the writers to rewrite scripts, uh, coming up with interview questions, that sort of thing. For me, the hardest part was uh, the on-camera work. Um, I have so much more respect now for broadcast journalists. It's exhausting. And to have a full day of filming that starts early when the light's really good and ends late because the light's really good, yeah, right. um, you know, and very few breaks in between. You know, when we did have breaks, we were working on our breaks because of the time uh, crunch was um, so extreme for this project. Um, that to say, be <clears throat> trying to deliver lines that I've memorized on camera, multiple takes at the end of a very long day and keep your energy up and still come across as authentic and knowledgeable. Um, that was, that was probably the biggest adjustment for me was, um, was being, I, I wouldn't say confident cause I, I did feel fairly confident on camera, but just being consistent and, uh, when you just wanted to lie down in a heap. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily, one of the one of the questions I wanted to ask about it, when you look at this series, and I went back and watched all of it last night. You know, one of the things that I, I think when you watch it the first time, you're like, oh, this is this is very cool. But when you when you kind of audit it a little bit, one of the things I was talking to John about is just how insanely tight these pieces are. And so, can you? talk us through two things one the selection process for the topics themselves and then how do you take something like marijuana in Michigan or the middle class in Michigan or Trump winning an election which is like these giant cakes and you get them down to one piece that by the end of the eight minutes you're like yeah I'm, I'm smarter now in eight minutes and and I think a lot of people watch a piece like that and don't really understand the insane amount of work to get eight minutes that tight. So can you talk us through what that process was like? I'm so glad you asked that question because um, after the whole process was over and uh, we were done producing all of them, I kept thinking about the proverbial tip of the iceberg. And, you know, as somebody who'd only prior consumed um, news media in that way, had never produced news media in that way, I realized people only see the tip of the iceberg. Uh, what's underneath the water is enormous and vast and just keeps going. Um, and so you're absolutely right. There is so much that went into every single episode uh, to produce the short seven minute final product. To tackle a big issue, let me talk about Nestle because that's a really controversial topic um, and still is and has been for a while. Uh, but what I say for Nestle applies for every single episode. We started by working with um, writers who had covered those topics for MLife sort of historically. And I wasn't um, part of the selection committee for which topics we did choose, but it's my understanding, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that um, they picked six topics that were kind of like big issue topics in Michigan, um, kind of the, the biggest uh, issues within the last like couple of years and that were still relevant and still ongoing that maybe people might need some background on, you know, like when you hear, when you read the most recent news story, you might have missed out on previous reporting. And so it was, the idea was to give people like the full picture and bring them up to speed on something. Um, so naturally, uh, it made sense to work with the reporters that had all that knowledge in their brains already. So they wrote the, the initial script drafts and kudos to all the writers because 
uh, I don't know if any of them had any previous experience writing drafts of scripts for you know for a video production, um, which is an entirely different storytelling art form than writing for a newspaper. Sure. So that was where we started, and um, and John wrote a couple scripts for us. So maybe he can speak a little bit about that process. But uh, then um, we workshopped those scripts uh, with the writers to tighten them up, um, to figure out who we were going to interview, to figure out a timeline, um, to figure out where we were going to shoot and when, what kind of things we wanted to shoot. Did we want drone shots, that sort of thing. And then um, our field producer, Lori Chapman, she really was sort of the nucleus of the project. Um, She would set up the interviews, make the phone calls, um, our director of photography, Jeremy Marvel, um, they worked together to figure out, uh, you know, where we were going to be like taking people visually. Um, and then uh, my background um, in just print journalism came in where, you know, I would read through the scripts, try to get myself uh, boned up on the storyline and then um, write uh, interview questions that then I would like pass around the group to make sure that there wasn't anything I was missing. And so that was all like what went into a particular episode uh, like Nestle, before we even got on the road. Um, and then it was, I want to say we spent in each location, well, it would depend on how much we were shooting in a location, because sometimes we went to multiple locations, but Nestle we pretty much um, did in one spot, and that was Everett, Michigan, which is where their bottling facility is, and also where several of their wells are. And so I think we spent two nights in that spot, um, and just kind of like traveling all over the town, doing multiple interviews. Um, Like I said earlier, going out first thing in the morning or in the evening when the light's really great to get shots, Um, following up on interviews. And, uh, and then, and then after the fact, sometimes we'd have to like, not even after the fact, often we'd have to like rewrite scripts on the fly. Sure. Um, And so a lot of people asked me, like a lot of friends asked me, like, what did you guys do when you were driving? Like what, you know, you're like stuck in a car for basically like three months with two (laughs) colleagues. And I wish I could say it was nothing but fun time, but often Lori had her laptop on her lap and was, you know, working and rewriting questions and, or rewriting, say like uh, a different um, segue for me as the host to say, to lead up to um, a sound bite that we had just collected. So um, it was pretty, it was pretty nonstop. I don't know if that answers your question or if there's any particular pieces that you want me to unpack farther. You know, it, it does. And it leads me to a second question. And, and I, 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 this is probably my, my favorite thing I, I want to ask you about is each episode seems to have its own aesthetic. And what it reminded me of is if you go back and watch Anthony Bourdain, especially in No Reservations, where each episode is some obscure movie that he was into. They would shoot an episode that looked like it that just happened to be about food. Um, And I I think specifically about two examples. One was uh, Trump country and the other one was the middle class. Both of them had the, you know, there's like the the shot of you that looks like it's from Patton behind the, the American flag. And then uh, you know the game of life for the middle class. What was what was that process like to to assign an aesthetic to each one of these pieces so they look like they belong together, but they each have their own kind of vibe to it. I have a couple of things to say about that. Um, well, good. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> two things. First of all, I want to make sure I give a shout out to our um, editor and sound designer Travis Blake, who is just 
I mean, I'd never worked with um, a video editor before and he, he came in like once or twice to meet with us, but largely worked freelance for us. And we would ship off all this footage to him with the script and the storyline and everything. And the first time he sent us back uh, a draft of what was to become the final episode, we were just blown away. We could, we just were out of our minds, so impressed. And so um, a lot of that like tightness uh, and the aesthetic that you're talking about that flows, makes a, an episode flow is absolutely due to his artistic eye. So major props to Travis for that. Um, but then as far as like shooting wise, uh, the middle class episode is a great example. We really struggled with how to make that one feel alive. It's a great story, but there was just something kind of missing from it that we, we just kept, it was the last one that we shot. Um, and we kept saying, we kept returning the script and saying, it needs just a little, like a hook. And I'm fairly certain it was uh, Lori Chapman who came up with the idea of using, excuse my dog barking in the background there, um, of using the game of life as a kind of a hook and it totally works. So I would say that as far as um, kind of coming up with like something hooky to draw people in, it was a lot of spitballing and and talking about, well, what if we tried this? What if we tried that? And that one just, I thought was genius and, and it really worked. Yeah, it's, it's by far my favorite episode for that reason because the aesthetic really kind of pulls it all the way through. Same. Let me, let me just tell you something awe-inspiring about working on this. And again, it was, it was equal parts, you know, joy and terror. But <laughs> I remember sitting, uh, in my bed, I think, on a Sunday afternoon with a hodgepodge of a script for middle class, and it felt like a book report because there's so much data and information about the decline since the 70s in real earning power and what's happened to the middle class and the decline of unions. And it was all this heavy stuff, you know, and it's almost to see it in its finished form is mind blowing because it is a coherent, entertaining fast-paced and informational it tells the whole story and coming from the writing background you know you you have a um, logical climax to your story you have an emotional climax you put little dramatic points in you build you build up in a story to you know you get a nut graph and you make your key points you try to be persuasive and then i get into the script and i'm like it didn't the, you, the visual format is a third dimension that you it was really hard to account for and the magic came not just when we sat down and did the hard work of the, the script uh, editing, and but to, to you had to imagine the shots. You had to start to think of where you were going to be and what how you were going to tell things visually. And it's almost like a score to a movie that can make you cry if the music's the right music at, at the right time. But the visuals just added so much in. And it was, it's almost like if, if you said, well, I'm going to plan a wedding, you know, and my little limited means like, well, how would I do table decorations? What kind of cake would I design? And then you hire someone who knows what they're doing and you go, wow, you know, <laughs> way beyond what I, I even could see in my head. And these videos, I have to tell you, when they were done, I knew they'd be good, but uh, they definitely are Emmy worthy and I'm grateful that they won. And we should say there were six videos in the series. Eric, you mentioned uh, the marijuana episode, Nestle Water, one called PFAS about forever chemicals in our water, uh, fix the damn roads, the potholes, the middle class and Trump country. And four of those won Emmys, um, the Trump uh, country. 
the PFAS uh, Forever Chemicals, Nestle Water, and the Middle Class. So uh, I thought definitely if the listeners have not seen them, I'm sure we can link to them. Uh, if you can also Google how we got here and I'm live and you'll, you'll find them there on YouTube as well. Um, but it was really, it's gratifying to get these awards, but the real gratifying part was seeing under very difficult timeline, a difficult situation, the staff come together and embrace these things and pick up new skills. So, um, so Emily, one new skill, what, what is it like putting on TV makeup? <laughs> Unlike anything I had previous experience with. <laughs> uh, I am very low maintenance when it comes to that department. And so um, I, uh, actually, I, I don't think I've told uh, anybody at work this. I actually scheduled a consultation with a makeup artist because I was so unsure of how to do anything. <laughs> um, and it helped. Uh, so yeah, it was, a it was quite a thing, but now I know how to do makeup for TV. Um, I know how to take off said makeup at night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also learned, I should say, um, and Lori was a big help on this. I learned how to dress for TV. I mean, I've had to me the great privilege of working behind the scenes for 20 years um, and not having to put too much thought into what I wear. Um, and I like to think I dress nice, but dressing for TV is totally different because uh, certain colors will wash you out and you can't wear patterns. And um, so now I know what colors make me look best on television. Um, you know, and that might come in handy again someday. I don't know. Your, your job for the last, you said 20 years, has been all things Michigan. You've traveled all over the state. I know you're an outdoors, outdoorsy person and you enjoy the outdoors. But the traveling for this series, did it, did it help you see Michigan in a different way? Did you learn anything about Michigan that, that you could share with us? I did. I, I would say that, um, so my career, uh, I used to live in Traverse City and my career has largely focused on travel in sort of the Northwest part of the state and the Upper Peninsula. Um, I was not as familiar with the Northeast and I got to see the Northeast a little bit. Um, like when we went to Atlanta for the Trump country episode, um, uh, I mean, Everett does not Northeast, but it's also sort of rural, small town, Michigan, um, you know, and the, and the places I had previously written about and was familiar with were small towns, but tourist small towns, which is a totally different vibe than middle of Michigan, small town. Uh, and so it was really um, interesting and uh, enjoyable, honestly, for me to see these other parts of the state, um, to meet people from other parts of the state. I've largely lived in um, kind of liberal enclaves and to be, into more, be in more conservative areas was also um, just really interesting for me as professional and just personally. Uh, I got to find an awesome new uh, camping spot that I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm kind of <laughs> off the grid. <laughs> That's like one of the biggest things like people get angry at me about with my journalism. They say, you're giving away all our secret spots. And sometimes I find secret spots and I don't tell anybody it, about them. Is it happen to be next to a wellhead? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll at least leave that there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say overall it was, um, I didn't have any like large takeaways, but it was cool to have a reason to see parts of Michigan that maybe my reporting would not have taken me to otherwise. Emily, you have some dietary concerns. Were you able to find a way to keep your energy up on the road and find the, the food you needed? How did you handle that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have type one diabetes, um, which 
for those who are not familiar, um, it's uh, a lot of work every single day revolving largely around food, but also activity. Um, so uh, the more I have a predictable schedule, the easier it is for me to manage my blood sugar. So <laughs> this project basically threw my predictable schedule right out the window. Um, every day was totally different. We were eating on the road. Um, I was in a different place, you know, almost every week. And so, and we, we, uh, we did have um, like a meal stipend while we were traveling. And I actually worked with uh, Lori and a manager to um, translate that stipend into <laughs> some Kroger dollars so that I could buy my own food and have my own healthy snacks. So I did my own meal prep and would bring along a little cooler for the car rides and, um, uh, and it helped immensely. And I was actually really grateful to have an employer who like understood that that was an important part of um, me staying healthy, uh, kind of like on this day after day after day project. Um, Cause eating on the road for three months straight um, we ate or we stopped at a lot of subways <laughs> and uh, you can only do so much subway um, before you need something else. So it was uh, really great for me to be able to bring nutritious food with me. Who would be the official snack sponsor of how we got here? Oh gosh. I mean, <laughs> probably subway. Honestly, we stopped at quite a few subways because sometimes when there's just a gas station in town, that's what you yeah, get. True. <laughs> so what was it like when three people, uh, rolled into a small town like Everett or wherever it was you were up north with their drones flying around. Uh, did you have any interactions with the locals or any feedback from people uh, when you were filming? What was the reception like? Generally, people, I felt like people kind of ignored us or if there were passers-by, they would just kind of look at us and then keep on moving. Um, there were some interactions uh, in Atlanta, because it's such a small town and we were there for a couple of days, we had several people stop and talk to us and or <laughs> we stopped um, to try to interview some locals in a bar one evening and like everybody knew who we were because they'd just been seeing us around town. I mean, it's like a two block downtown, so it's kind of hard to miss a group of three people flying a drone all over. Um, so, but generally people were, um, I mean, so many people have cameras and drones nowadays. I don't. I don't think too many people were um, thrown off by our presence. How, what were your feelings when you got back and the thing was finally wrapped? What did you feel like it had done for you as a journalist and you know, as a person? What did you take away from it? Well, I was. Uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, honestly, it was a it was a little relieved for a reprieve from the speed at which we had to produce that project. It was nice to settle back into a less demanding workflow. <laughs> um, but uh, it really did make me realize how much I value um, working with other people. And uh, I was just so proud of the work that we did and so proud of and impressed by my colleagues and the way we all collaborated, um, especially Lori and Jeremy, like we're three very different people um, and long, long, long stressful hours on the road together um, with anyone else could have been ugly and everyone just stayed so upbeat and professional um, and kept their nose to the grindstone. And uh, so I just, 
it made me proud to be a journalist and it made me proud to work for MLive. And um, it made me glad that I don't have to do that for my full-time job. (laughs) 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 On that note, Emily, you might not like this, this next question then. Okay. Uh, Because I'm wondering if, if you were able to do a second season of, of this, is there a story you would want to tell right now? Is there another one of these episodes you'd like to do? That's a great question. That's tough to say, I think, in 2020, because... <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> because the stories, obviously, right now are so huge and immediate. Um, and uh, I personally don't have a background in, in reporting on coronavirus or systemic racism, um, both of which I think... W- would lend themselves to a project like this, honestly. Um, I think there's tons of stories to be told mm-hmm. in, in both of those veins. I think absolutely, if, if we wanted to, we could do uh, a series like that again. And th- I mean, one of my favorite things about being a journalist is there is no end to the stories that you can tell. And I think that Michigan has tons of them. We're such an interesting state because there's so many different regions here, so many different ways of living. Um, I always say like, Detroit is so different from the West side is so different from up North is so different from the UP. Uh, and then we have so much water here. And, uh, I think you could do a whole series just on water issues in Michigan. So, um, I, it's hard for me right now off the top of my head to say just one story that I think, um, would be great. I have a couple ideas that I would not want to give away. Um, but, uh, I think, definitely there's there's no limit to um, the topics we could address if we wanted to do it again. Well, and I would just say you, you said you don't have any experience with coronavirus or, or reporting on racial tension, but you also, the first time you did six videos, won an Emmy, actually four of them. So, <laughs> so. I, have, I have to say, like, we, I'll just go back to the beginning of the process. And we said, okay, we've got the money. Uh, we know we're going to do this. What are we going to do? And we made a point to say we want to do topics that are not resolved that and to propose at the end some resources for people to discuss so we can work towards solutions. Um, because these were things that were starting to define Michigan, define our culture, define our politics. And we knew that these were big sprawling topics. It was, that's what made it so intimidating to tell an, an eight to 10 minute video. So to your point, both of you, Systemic racism is not out of the, it's a story that can be told. And we also could go say, because I know there's a fascination with the UP, we could go up and do probably an amazing video on what life is really like in the UP, you know, and tell it from a standpoint that people see it fresh and people who, who, whether they've been there or not, I know it's a completely different culture, but we could do topics. But the one thing it's also done is we, we built some talents and skills and competency and muscle that we're using in all of our video projects now across uh, MLive on all topics, whether it's breaking news. Lori Chapman is an amazing editor, and she's brought that some of that storytelling that we really honed here into everyday video work that we're doing on MLive. And so uh, that is, it was, I guess, like I, I never had a baby, but it was daunting and it hurt, but it, we're very proud of, of the offspring that, that came out of it. And I think, I think those videos still stand up. Uh, if you watch them, you, they help foster understanding 
uh, and start conversations. And if you want to go watch the Trump country one, I think it's pretty relevant. Oh, it's it's I, I mean, I watched it last night. It's it's absolutely relevant today in, in a in a very eerily incredible way. Right. There's 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 lines in there where you're like, did you record that last night? Because it works right now. <laughs> Well, and it's your truly it's it, it, not without taking sides on that at all. But these are this is in Michigan right now. And there's reasons behind why people feel the way they do. And this video helps explore that. So uh, a, a last question I have for you, Emily, what are you setting your sights on next? Is it the Oscar, the Tony or the Grammy? Oh, well, definitely the Grammy. I don't know if you know this about me, but I sing. And so I would love to have a Grammy next. I don't know how to make that happen at MLive, but I will get some ideas going. Uh, after going through how we got here, I think anything's in the realm of possibility, Emily. <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on Behind the Headlines today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yes. Yeah, uh, congratulations again, you and your whole team. And I also want to give a shout out to Jillian Van Strat, who oversees our video social team, and Kyle Matson, uh, who I think is on this project was executive producer. Or you know, the lead producer and a guy behind the scenes who was doing all the scheduling and making sure things were where they were supposed to be and getting done on time. So, uh, and Jeremy and Lori, uh, fantastic work. So congratulations again. Thank you. And there you go. Another episode of Behind the Headlines. If you like what you're hearing, you can do a couple things for John and I. One, you can take the podcast and put it in a playlist on Spotify. Two, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you uh, give it a review. Tell people how much you like it. And three, if you really dig it, share it to somebody who might enjoy it just as much as you do. My name is Eric Halkren. He is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines. We'll see you next week.